This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast with Greg Smith. Tell it to me straight up. Hello, and welcome into the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast, proudly part of the Hale Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith. I am very happy that spring has sprung, at least for a few days. It was a high of like 83 yesterday, Um, and so I'm very happy. Uh, Today, I am joined by a special guest, a noted football guy and Hale Varsity staff writer, Derek Peterson. Derek, how are you, man? I'm good. Noted uh, stats nerd, sports nerd. Um, I am also conflicted with spring because over the winter, I procured a, uh, a very comfortable assortment of sweats, which now I can no longer wear. So I have to kind of be choosy with it. Like I got, I got like the Nike sportswear fits. So like, I got like matching sweatpants and hoodies, but stylish. And so now I kind of have to be choose. I, I can I can pick one or the other. I can't wear both. It's got to be sweatpants and then a loose like slim t shirt, or it's hoodie and shorts so that like I'm not dying with this heat because it was like 88 yesterday and I was like, ooh, we are yeah, here. It was, it was a little warm yesterday, but the kind of the thing about Nebraska though is that I'm sure I've not even looked. I'm sure that this weather is not going to actually last for us, and that we'll take another turn down like 20 degrees. Well, the cool thing is, for the time being, when we spend our days outside for work, we're going to be in, like, a wind tunnel that is Memorial Stadium. So it, we'll have some, like, artificial cooling going on there. Yeah, there are several times a year, though, when I just – when we're over there at the stadium, and I'm like, how do people ever kick here? Like, any time that we're in, like, the wind tunnel under the stadium or, some, or under the stadium, or sometimes when we're, like, on the field pregame and you're watching those pregame warm-ups to see how the kickers are doing, and you're just like, uh... Like, it, it often feels like that around Memorial Stadium. Like, yeah, it's a feature of the stadium. Um, now, each week, uh, we're going to do the, keep it kind of similar here. Each week, we, we have a couple of segments um, that we start off with um, that are mainstays of each individual podcast. And the first one is always called Coach Speak, where we'll go over something that a coach or player or a talking head said, and then we'll give you the straight-up breakdown of what they meant. Um, this week comes courtesy of Arizona women's basketball coach Adia Barnes, who had this to say after she was caught – Caught is even too strong after she was seen on camera. This caught makes it sound like I'm saying she did something wrong. Um, sharing a private moment with her team um, in which she may or may not have flipped a double bird. She said, quote, I honestly had a moment with my team and I thought it was more of an intimate huddle. She said, I said to my team something that I truly felt and I know that they felt and it just appeared differently on TV, but I'm not apologizing for it because I don't feel like I need to apologize. It's what I felt with my team at the moment. I wouldn't take it back. We've gone to war together. We believe in each other so in those moments so I'm in those moments and that's how I am so I don't apologize for doing that it, I'm just me and I just have to be me so with all that being said Derek what did uh coach Barnes really mean there 
Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? You can do what you want. We have beeps and edits. That you- <laughs> it'll, it'll just get beeped out by producer. It might. Pat. depends on how strong you go. Okay. What, what did Adia Barnes mean with this? She meant exactly what she said on the court after they beat the number one seed, UConn Huskies. She meant, and you're going to have to beep this, I know. She meant the haters. That's what she meant. Like, I don't understand why she had to apologize for this in the first place. I don't understand why she was asked about it in the first place in a, in a, in a context that would lead her to being like, I'm not apologizing. Um, that was awesome. That was great. And I, I actually had this conversation with my wife and she said, um, we, we were kind of talking about like, because women are expected to be prim and proper. If that was a guy coaching on the men's side, like let's just say Mark Few was is seen doing that exact same thing after Jalen Suggs hits his game winner for Gonzaga and he does the exact same thing. Like everybody's like, let's go Mark Few. Nobody's asking right. him to apologize. Um, so like I thought she had, they had very legitimate gripes. They made the final four and then three of the four teams that were in the final four were featured in the NCAA promotional video showcasing the final four. Arizona was not even shown in that video. I still weren't shown in the video. Happened, yeah. That's that's amazing to me. How does that happen? And then it was the thing. I think the the they played Texas A and M earlier in the tournament, and then a, a promotional video for that game only showed Texas A and M and didn't show Arizona. Like this was a team that played for the national championship and got really close to winning the national championship at the end. I had you know, I didn't. I I, I saw it and I was like, okay, that's awesome. I'm now rooting for Arizona, and never thought. Yeah, she should apologize for that. So her sort of being like, I'm not apologizing for it, was just an extension of what she said on the court, which was, um, we're going to keep doing us, and if you have a problem with that, then that's more of a you problem. Yeah, and I, and I, first of all, I totally agree with her. Second of all, I, am with, I, I was not surprised that she had to say something or got asked about it because I just feel like that's kind of what happens in these situations. Things get caught on camera or seen um, that weren't necessarily meant to be out there. Um, And then that person has to come back and apologize. And it's just kind of what people do. I was very happy that she said repeatedly, and that's how I read the whole thing, that she did not need to apologize for it because I totally agree. Um, And I think that sometimes we can't, I think that sometimes we as like media and sports fans want it both ways where you want these coaches and players to have those raw show of emotions and you want to see what it's really like, right? And what their actual reaction is to different events and things that happen. And then you get their actual reaction and maybe you're upset and you're kind of taken aback by it. I do think that it definitely plays into it that it was a woman that did this because you said Mark Few. My first thought was if Gino Ariema had done this, we had just flipped it. And we had the result of UConn winning and Gino does this where he's going nuts in the huddle and gives double bird. I don't think that it would have been as big of a deal. But I also think in a way it did make me root for Arizona more because I definitely was pulling for them um, to then win the whole thing. They unfortunately did not for us, all of us new Arizona Wildcats women's basketball fans. They unfortunately did not um, win. And congrats to Stanford uh, for pulling that off because, Oh, by the way, I don't want to go too far without forgetting this. Did you see the stat about Stanford and like their, is it, 44 years in a row. I know I should have pulled this. Yeah, I sent this to you. Stanford has won an NCAA championship. And now I meant to do this and I didn't need a chance. And go back and look, like, where are they winning all of these championships? It doesn't feel like I ever hear about this, but this is the most ridiculous, like, streak in sports. Like, it's amazing. 
Yeah, it's like, well, because it's it's in team sports. So I think you've got like track team. I think you've probably got like a swimming and diving team in there somewhere. You probably got like some of those teams where, you know, there aren't a hundred and thirty something programs competing or in basketball's case, like 300 programs competing where, you know, like, cause I mean, just talk about baseball in the big 10, like Wisconsin doesn't have a baseball program. Um, yeah, that one was insane. I sent that to you guys in Slack that, 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 um, streak is insane. And I, I think the person that like shared it was like, this is the greatest streak in the history of college sports. Like, will that ever get broken after this? Like it's going to be hard, right? Like you can't, like, it's really difficult. I think to kind of quantify like how good you have to be across, like, because essentially it means that you're basically competitive in everything. Like in yeah. some way, shape or form, like every sport that you have, it, like you have a chance to like make some noise in it, um, which is pre- it's pretty incredible because you just don't see that very often. Like I feel like when you think about teams, like even teams that are very good in a couple sports, like they're easily identifiable with certain schools. Like right now, Alabama football is really, really good. Their basketball team is on the rise. Like there are other programs that like they've got a couple and that's it. Um, but the way that, and it's funny, it's kind of the way that Nebraska, I guess, quote unquote, used to be, where it used to be a lot more of their sports competed at a championship level and a lot of different things. Um, and that was something that Nebraska took pride on. And we've even had conversations about that recently about like, is that even sustainable anymore? Like, is that something that can be done um, at a major collegiate level? Stanford kind of showing that you can do that um, in today's day and age, which is just remarkable. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Sure. I know this is your podcast and I'm kind of flipping it, but um, do you, do you think that Scott Frost has pulled in Adia Barnes in a locker room off camera <laughs> after one of their wins? Probably. Do you think but- we will ever reach a point if that where he does it on camera when they upset someone? Uh, yeah, I could see that. You could? I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was, you know, my only hesitation about whether or not he has or not was really tied to whether or not they've had a big enough win to really elicit that emotion from him. Because I do think that when that, even when that happens, um, we'll definitely have. So, like, I'm trying to imagine, like, and I'm laughing thinking about it. If they beat Oklahoma after everything that's kind of oh, happened man. and it's been around that game. I think you could get an Adia Barnes moment out of Scott Frost after that. I don't know if no, 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 no. You know what they have to do? They need to, if they beat Oklahoma, they need to send Lincoln Riley brisket. Oh man. Or just, or, or you don't even have to send him brisket. You could have that in the graphic that you make after the game. Cause remember how last year, basically after every team beat Nebraska, there was some sort of thanks for bringing football back tweet that happened after the game. Like that's all they really have to do is they're like, thanks for the hospitality and like show like uh, three times dead brisket on the side of the graphic. Leave it on the, uh, leave it on the sideline on one of the benches. Yeah, like that's okay. That would actually be great if they beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma has to fold the program after everything that happened this offseason. I mean, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It would be really that would be a really tough look because then all of a sudden I'm just thinking of the other side. You think about how like 
Yeah, there was all the talk about Nebraska trying to duck them, but I think what got overlooked in that whole thing was Oklahoma really kind of needling them throughout that that entire day of Oklahoma making statements before Nebraska did. Like it was all basically Oklahoma poking Nebraska, yeah. like very subtly, <laughs> like very yeah. sweet diss throughout all of those statements. So yeah, I'm so now I don't like usually root for necessarily for certain outcomes, but if if I get nothing else in the 2021 season, a Nebraska upset win and a graphic with a three times dead brisket on the sideline <laughs> is is really all I need. Incredible, or I mean, or or a, a nice uh, a nice secondary prize would be like them beating Wisconsin, and then you know you can harken back to what Paul Chris said on the sideline in Madison. Uh, what would that have been? Yeah. Two years ago, two or three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Some can, opportunities here. There's always so many. Like Paul Chris, I feel like it's a nice. He gets a pass for a lot of those things, and I think it, in part because it's Wisconsin, and they just don't get a ton of attention. Yeah. But Paul Chris it has a high level of shit talk in him. Yeah. And I kind of respect, but at the same time, like it happens often. Yeah. You, you know, we, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but, and, and this, and, and I'll say this, this is something Lincoln Riley won't understand, but there are some juicy opportunities here. Wow. There, there are definitely some juicy opportunities. And with that, I'm going to transition into some juicy opportunities to talk about spring ball uh, because spring ball was, is here. Um, we've had the first full week. We'll, it's, we're recording this on Monday morning and we'll, we'll get over to post-practice here after this. Um, but because we've had a full week, I want to get into some, just some light, true or false with Derek based on the first week uh, of things that we've seen. And I've got three here and I'm really interested to get uh, your take on the first one is uh, true or false, Derek, you, football guy, noted football guy, are intrigued by Scott Frost mentioning Samari Touré starting off in the slot. Oh, yes. So true. Very true. Very, very true. Because that guy would figure to be um, maybe their most productive receiver this season, right? Um, Yeah, I would would say that. So if you're going to put him in the slot, then you want – you would want like an Omar Manning or Xavier Betts on the outside. If you got all three of those guys on the field with an Austin Allen or a Thomas Fedoni, I'm very intrigued as to what that will look like. Because one of the things that we learned through the first week was that like, yes, they're talking about this downhill power running game. And yes, they're talking about kind of slowing tempo down in practice and things like that to sort of hammer details. But they like, they didn't, bring Thomas Fedoni into this picture by saying, yeah, we're going to run 70 times a game and you're going to be blocking the whole game. Like they brought Thomas Fedoni into this picture, pitching him. We're going to have an explosive offense. We're going to find ways to fix what has ailed us in the passing game over the last few years. And so I, I think that there's a pathway for them to get to a more explosive offense. And so you know, like Scott said uh, last week that, that he felt like the talent and the depth in the wide receiver room was as good as it's been since he's been back at Nebraska. I'm curious if that's true. I'm curious what that looks like. But Samori Toure in the slot um, certainly seems like a way to, to sort of open up this ultra-huge lineup for Nebraska to put on the field. I mean, because he's 6'3". Omar Manning is, what, 6'4"? Xavier Betts is like 6'3". He's above six foot. Yeah. He's tall. Yeah. He's around there. Um, 
And like when Toure committed and I talked to it, uh, the guy that coached him at, at the FCS school, um, he was like, he runs like a gazelle. He's going to catch everything. He would have been a pro prospect if not for COVID. And then Matt Lubick makes the comment that 50-50 balls aren't 50-50 with him. If you got three of those guys on the field, like you can do a lot of fun stuff with that. So, yes, true. I am, I am very intrigued by putting this guy in the slot. Yeah, and it's funny that you went to the exact first thing that I thought of, too, with that, which is, one, it feels – well, two things. One, it does feel like he – Trey is kind of being billed as kind of a steadying force um, for that passing game. I guess is the way that I would say it. Because he's such a veteran player, he's played so many snaps already of college football, and that – while he's very new, obviously, it feels like the way they talk about him is they feel like they understand what they're going to get from him. Yeah. It's good because if you can then pencil him into a, a, into the slot as a threat that they haven't really had that kind of consistent, like, we're going to have a guy in the slot and let him work. Now, you might think that I'm taking a shot at Wanda Robinson. I am not because what that more is a shot of is they had to keep moving him out of the slot and putting him at running back for reasons yeah. known that I still think led to him leaving. So yeah. if you had been able to leave Wandale in the slot, it would have been closer to what I think we're going to get out of Toure. So that's great. But then the really intriguing part to me and where it really comes in is what you said, which is if you've got Manning and Betts on the outside, but I would actually add a guy, and is I think that a guy that's really important to be kind of insurance, but in his own right started out to play really well towards the end of the season is Oliver Martin. I feel like he's kind of overlooked in this equation because if Omar Manning isn't practicing every day or he continues to kind of be in and out and we don't know what we're going to get from him, I think Oliver Martin is more than capable of being that guy opposite Xavier Betts. And then you can then you also still have a mixture of Wyatt Lever and Elante Brown. You'll see what you get out of Will Nixon. I feel like I'm still forgetting someone. And that's before you get to the tight ends. I think they've got a really intriguing group of pass catchers that – there are there's still a lot of if ands or buts and this needs to go correctly but i think that there is a path to them being much improved at that position i'm going to continue to be kind of skeptical until i see it that is my whole thing for this year sure, as a not to put things too far out ahead yeah. but the pieces are there and i do think that it starts with tory in the slot to answer my own question very true i am very intrigued by him being in the slot well, and the important thing too that you mentioned was like they they have they have this this uh, sort of explosive talent in Wandell Robinson, but you don't get all of the you, they didn't experience all the benefits of having this sort of matchup problem in the slot because, like you said, they have to keep moving him out of it. They have to keep moving him into the backfield and using him in other areas to sort of compensate for deficiencies in, in other parts of their offense. So, if if you that guy's gone. You're not going to put Smore Toure in, in the backfield, right? I would hope. They're not going to do that. I would so hope. he's going if he's if he's starting in the slot, if he's spending the majority of his time in his slot in the slot, then you're talking about a dude who is a legitimate matchup problem for other teams right there because of his size, because of his ability to get downfield, because of his sort of verticality. So if you've got that guy and and they feel like he is consistent. So you know what you're going to get. Like you said, you know what you're going to get from this guy in the slot every single play. And you don't necessarily have to worry about him. Other defenses have to worry about him. Like that has to be, that then has to be the guy that like you sort of focus on. And then he can start to, 
maybe take a little bit of the pressure off of Omar Manning on the outside. He can start to maybe take a little bit of the pressure off of the guys on the outside because all of a sudden you're focused on, as a defense, you're like, okay, well, we know they really like Austin Allen. We know they really like Thomas Fedoni. We know that like the tight end is sort of a position that's trending up. So we got to pay attention to that. We got to make sure we have personnel on the field that can match those guys. Now we got Toure in the slot over here. We know what he is because we've seen his film from the FCS level. We got to pay attention to him in the slot. We got to make sure we've matched personnel over there. And then you can kind of start to see some of these other guys just sort of slip through the cracks. Maybe Omar Manning gets one-on-one coverage. Like you like your chances with Omar Manning in a situation like that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's, you know, what you bring up with with the differences between Wandale in the slot versus this new guy in the slot, I think is is a really important distinction to make. Yeah. And, and it's not and, and I've seen this and it's more on Twitter from fans that I think are just trying to justify like where their team is hopefully going. It's like, oh, you know, it'll it, like the passing game will be better because Wandale's gone and they could, no, I don't want us to do that. Like, I don't think that that's the case, but there is a way to kind of say, okay, it can be different, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's because he's gone. Right. <laughs> we have to get away from that. Now, shifting gears, um, the next true or false that I want to get into, is it's a totally different area of the game, but probably just as important based on what we've seen. True or false, Derek, you buy into the talk from the first week of an increased focus on special teams. Because we've heard a lot about this. This has been, I, we've heard from, I think, it feels like almost every coach outside of maybe Greg Austin had some sort of topic of special teams that he brought up, whether it was Becton, who forcefully said we have to be better there, Travis Fisher talking about all of his guys, they need to be playing special teams, Eric Chenander mentioned it, pitching in with Coach Dawson, Coach Dawson obviously mentioned it, and talking about his um, new role, Frost mentioned it last Monday, like, do you buy into the increased focus on special teams? I buy it from the assistant coaches, I think yeah. it's true for the assistant coaches. Sean Becton does not lie to us. Sean Becton is, uh, is, is probably one of the most straight shooters on the staff. Sean Becton was the perfect voice to come out and say us as assistant coaches did not get the job done last year. Um, that was encouraging to hear that. Travis Fisher saying, I have, I got 20 guys in my DB room. If all 20 guys aren't starting on a special teams, then you're not playing for me on defense. That was great to hear. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I just, I, I am, and maybe this is just a me problem and maybe, you know, this can be sort of worked out as we get closer to the season. And, and if we see results, then, you know, I'll do a, a, a mea culpa on it, but they, they, they went a route that very few power five teams go, which is handing special teams off to an off the field assistant or an analyst. Mm-hmm. Very few special teams do this. We have a story on hillvarsity.com kind of outlining it. Um, they, they went the, the, the route least followed and it didn't work. Well, it didn't work in the head coach's eyes. It kind of did. They improved statistically. It worked more than you would think based off of what the head coach has said about it and what kind of the talk about special teams has been this off season. Correct. A hundred percent jive with what the results were from a, from a purely statistical standpoint. If you're looking at the, the collective whole of the, the third phase of the game, their numbers improved. Not greatly. They were still like in the 90s rank-wise nationally, which you need to be better than that, but they were like 120th something in in 2019. So it just didn't improve to his liking. And then that guy after a year is now gone, and in replacing him, you did nothing. 
you handed the job to an assistant coach who, when you hired him back a year ago, said, we don't want to do this because I think it's going to negatively impact his ability to coach outside linebackers. But now we're a year. (laughs) Yes. And now we're a year later, and now he has that job, and he's handling everything but, uh, what is it, kickoff and or or field goal and field goal block teams. Um, So I'm curious. I'm not saying it won't work. I, I, my mind is completely open to the possibility, but I'm not totally buying it yet from everyone. I, I would say that I'm very much in the same boat as you. I, I like, I'm encouraged. Um, I like what I hear from the assistant coaches. I even like, I guess I should say, I also do kind of like what you hear from Scott on it, just because I think that what he said, even so far this spring is better than what he said previously, he to me at least seems kind of involved and like it needs to be a focus. At least saying that um, to me is progress. I think I am with you, and I'm I'm most encouraged by the by the tone that the assistant coaches struck when talking about special teams and how kind of and Beckton really is the one to me again that because of the way that he says we have to take more ownership of this if this is something that we're being asked to do we have to do better like we have to get our guys to to focus in more on it I think that when you kind of lay out when you hear a head coach say it has to be all hands on deck to get special teams better, I immediately kind of um, recoil at that and, and cringe a little and say, oh, usually when it when that is said, it means that, oh, it's just going to be spread too thin and no one's really focused on it. Mm-hmm. But the way that those guys kind of came out and talked about it actually made me feel the opposite, that they actually are kind of all taking it to heart and doing it. Because I think the only way – not the only way, but the, and the, given the situation that Nebraska is in right now with what they chose to do, which was handing the responsibilities to Mike Dawson, I think the best path for them to have improvement there is to have see what we just saw, which is everybody kind of taking it on and be and making their players feel like it's important. Like it's one thing for the coach to get out there and say, yeah, special teams has to be important. Every coach says that. Yeah. But you have to also hear it from your position coach because I, I guarantee you the guys in Travis Fisher's room sat up a little straighter when he said, um, and I assume he said this to them because he said it to us that you guys need to be playing on special teams or you're not going to be playing for me on the field. Yeah. That makes you take it more seriously. Yeah. And I should say Scott deserves credit here too, because for, for his assistant coaches to, to be that sort of unified in, in the messaging of that. Yeah. We have to be better. We have to make this an emphasis. That is a matriculation from, from the top. Yeah. That only comes from the top. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I, and I think that I, I do think, though, there's one more. And it's funny because after I looked through the three that I kind of had prepared for us, I once again did the thing where I did not have any of these focused on the defense, which has been a recurring theme of me um, based on like just where I think the question marks are. So we're going to go back to the offense um, and something that you kind of wrote about. And I, I'm very eager your expanded thoughts here. True or false? there will be you're buying or you believe that there will be more downhill elements in the run game after hearing the talk about it. Um, week one of spring practice. Um, first of all, I used the wrong word as we closed out that, that last segment. So I'm, I'm dumb, but that's what, what's new. Um, second of all, I do not buy that. I think we kind of had this conversation in in our Slack channel sort of over the weekend. I, I think what happened with, with, with some of these comments that were made was that people were like, 
there's such an affinity for kind of old school Husker power that I think people heard that and they just were like, the nineties are coming back. Scott changed his offense. Let's run with it. And, and it maybe got taken a little too far. Like, I don't think that they're all of a sudden going to become. And, and, and I think, did we talk about this on my podcast? Like, I don't think that there's going to be just a bunch of three tight end sets out there and they're just going to be running the ball every single play. Yeah, like, we did talk about that on the varsity club podcast with their, I, I think, um, you know, we're talking about spring practice, right? Like we're still however many months away from even the start of fall camp. Like I think that, that they're just sort of, they slowed down a little bit, which is what Greg Austin said to, to hammer home the details and to, to be more technical and more clinical in their execution on the field. And the way that their practices ran leading up to this season, apparently this, this preseason apparently was there wasn't, there wasn't, there weren't stoppages between plays. You'd run a play, you'd get lined up, you'd run another play. And then if there was something that happened wrong in the midst of those plays, it was discussed and addressed after practice. It was something that was, was looked at in meeting rooms after practice. It wasn't talked about on the field. And so now if you're like, hey, we're going to slow down, we're not going to put as much of an emphasis on tempo, and we're just going to say, look, this has to be right. Let's run it again until we get it right. I think that's a good thing, but I also don't think that signals that there's this massive offensive shift in identity happening. Um, they were already a pretty run-heavy team last year, and they were a pretty run-heavy team the year before that. Um, when when Scott came to Nebraska, he said, we're going to pair Oregon speed with Husker power. And it's a big reason why Zach Duvall is here. And I think that that's still a goal. I don't think this is going to become a situation where like, they're just, you know, running it back to the nineties and, and uh, retreating to that kind of offensive style because what, what they came here with so far, quote unquote, hasn't worked. Um, Frost was hired to do what he does best, which is run the offense that he ran at Oregon and UCF. And, you know, I don't think that them recruiting a bunch of size kind of all across the board on the offense means that they're suddenly going to, run away from that approach. I, you know, the, the jokes of, well, I guess Scott ended up having to adjust to the big 10 after all, or, you know, some of that stuff that was fired off on Twitter. I, you know, I think that, I think that that's still a little premature. Could they come out and, and, you know, have like a 65, 70% run rate on the season? Sure. Um, you know, there's sort of nickel and dime pass game of, of last year. If there's no improvement there, it would sort of lend itself to that kind of offensive approach. Um, but you know, I, I think, I think I, I'm certainly interested in, in Greg Austin saying, yeah, we're going to have this kind of, um, we're, we're trying to, to tweak some of our stuff to get running backs downhill faster. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in that and how that kind of plays out and what we, what we'll see from that. Um, but as far as like this huge kind of overhaul of their offensive approach, I'm not really there yet. I, I do not. I also do not buy into it. Um, I think it's false as well. Um, I think that I think that people globbed on to the wrong part of that quote as well. It was essentially what you're saying. I think that people did jump on to the oh, we're going to run more because there is still, to me, a misconception about how much they've run the ball so far under Frost. Like they're still one of the higher run rate teams in the country under Frost. Um, and, and I think that every time I saw the stat again recently, I feel like they were top 20 in run percentage 
last year, if I'm not mistaken. And people are surprised every time like that gets put out there because it doesn't feel like that. Um, because, and then if you actually also add in those swing passes and just the short passing game, you're actually probably even higher percentage. Um, but I don't believe that they're just going to come out and be power run or power, even more of that power spread, which is what I've been advocating for um, based on what they said. I think the most important thing that we've heard in the first week of spring ball from any coach is the stuff that Greg Austin said about them honing, stopping practices and honing in on details um, with what's happening. Because the way that I like in this, and I said this on Hale Varsity Radio last week, if the if we all acknowledge that the Frost era has been underwhelming so far that they have underperformed, their record has not been good. That is not like opinion, it's fact. You cannot then go into the next spring in a pivotal spring entering year four and say, well, we're going to do everything the exact same way and just hope that it changes. So it's super encouraging to me that they at least said, hey, we're going to stop these practices and we're going to hone in on these details and make sure that we get it right. And you heard multiple coaches mention that. I know um, uh, Sean Becton mentioned it as well. If let's say that they've also added a station at practice where it's basically a correction station that's happening at practice too, in addition to kind of the things that they were doing before when they had multiple stations working, let's say they're doing that, that would be great as well. Right? So I think that there are things that are different that would maybe lend itself to different results. And that's great, but that does not mean that they're slowing that down so that they can run more downhill and that they can just, you know, 75% run the ball. I don't think it's that because, and I think it's partially, but because of what we started off talking about in this true or false segment, which is the receivers. I don't think that you then revamp that whole receiver group so that you can then just have them blocking all the time. I think that that is the function of it, and it comes up all the time. It happened, It came up again with Matt Lubick this week about having that additional size helps you with blocking. But I think the whole thing is, if you notice, they're not recruiting these big guys that are just slow. Like, that's not been the thing. What's always the thing? The kid that just committed uh, for the 22 class, Victor Jones Jr., uh, three-star receiver out of Florida. He runs track, right? He runs like a 10-900-meter uh, dash. He runs, I think it was a 20.09 in the 200. Um, he can run at 6.263. So they're continuing to try to blend that size and power or um, speed and size that they wanted to do when they first came here. And I think we'll continue to see that it does not necessarily mean that they're going to be running the ball, um, you know, 75% of the time. Yeah. Two, two things real quick, just to kind of reinforce what you said. Um, Tall wide receivers, you recruit tall wide receivers so that they can go and win 50, 50 balls. And so that you can have red zone targets, um, which Nebraska hasn't had a ton of, because they've had a ton of small receivers. And uh, the second thing, uh, 34th nationally last year in run rate ran in on 56% of, uh, of snaps a little lower than I thought it was going to be, but still 34th nationally. Okay. So then it's still in the range of where, like, I think when people here and sorry, it was not top 20, it's top 35, 34. They, I still think that that's higher than your most fans would think. Well, and you also too, you know, you made a really good point. You have to factor in the swing and the screen, pass game because they have said it themselves. They've just viewed those plays as an extension of the run game. Right. It's just a different mechanism for getting the ball to the running back or to the, the, the ball carrier on the outside. Yes. 
Absolutely. So I think that, and I think that those, there's some good, there's a lot of good things that happened first week. We, we were everyone excited that the football is back. I cautioned against going too far because this could all change. We're getting right? sucked in, Greg. We're getting get sucked, sucked in. in. But like, it's weird. Like what happens though, if we go through the rest of spring, we're at the end of spring ball and all of a sudden Lubick and Frost are talking about how great this group of receivers is doing um, and how much further along are people then going to be panicked that they're going to be throwing the ball all over the place instead of running. <laughs> And at seventy percent of the time, I don't know, man. It's it uh, that spring game is going to be interesting. Yeah, it will be because it, I feel like it's already setting up to be like a showcase of the pass catching talent. Yeah, because if you come out and you just and and you just like hide your passing game, you just hold back your passing game and just run it the entire time, then all of the uh, you know all of the narratives right now of oh Nebraska is just going to run it a bunch, those are right. reinforced, and you go into the season with like Nebraska abandoned what you know Scott Frost was good at. Or if you go the other way and just be like, yeah, we're going to showcase this passing game that's that's made a lot of improvements, and then everybody goes into the fall camp saying Nebraska could be a top twenty-five team. Oh boy! Well, we'll we'll see how we'll see how <laughs> that goes. <laughs> we'll see. It's coming probably. Um, but every week we end the show um, with, with my favorite segment every week um, that we call "Put Them on Blast," where we basically put someone on blast for something that they did or said. Put them on blast uh, today. I am going with Dan Orlovsky. Uh, Dan went on it Pat McAfee's uh, podcast um, and did that thing that often happens around draft time. Unfortunately, there's two things happen. One, you always get anonymous sourcing um, that kind of comes up, and there's always a, a player or two that seems to get kind of picked on as the guy who we're going to do the whisper campaigns about. And somehow this year, Justin Fields um, has become that guy, whether or not it's these crazy projections about him going in the fourth round um, or, you know, his draft stock being all over the board. And Orlovsky got on that podcast and talked about, how he had credible people telling him that they were questioning his work ethic. And if he really wanted Justin Fields and if he really wanted um, to be great and Rightfully so, this turned into a little bit of a firestorm for Orlovsky where everyone was kind of coming out to come out against him, including Kurt Herbstreet, um, even though I know that people were immediately like, oh, it's an Ohio State guy, he's going to come to his defense. But Herbstreet was right in this case. I am surprised that ESPN did not come out more and say, hey, you've got to then walk this back, even though Orlovsky kind of um, admitted the mistake a little bit um, in which he came back and said that he did, you know, he should have given him more clarity and specificity specificity to the uh, comments that he made. This has to go. Why is this part of the draft discourse? I don't know why it always is. It always only really seems to come up with black quarterbacks. We do have to make sure that we say that as well. That happens a lot too. And in this particular case, and this is part of another part of why Arlovsky has to go on blast for this, is that did we not see the game where Justin Fields like basically refused medical attention to continue going out there? And we know that he was way more hurt um, that he should have probably not been out there. Um, I don't I just don't understand why we're always doing this and specifically why we're always doing this to black quarterbacks um, and why there were not seemingly more like from his employer um, wrist slapping or heavily punishment uh, for Dan Orlovsky. So for all of that, he has to go on blast. Yeah. I was going to mention there's a very specific kind of quarterback that this happens to every single year. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad you just said it. Um, 
the other, like this is my biggest issue with the draft. The, and and I think that it's kind of human nature because there's so much time between the end of the college football regular season or, or the, the, the postseason and the actual draft. Like whenever you have to make a big decision and you have a, a gap between when you know you have to make that decision and when you actually make the decision, you just start overanalyzing everything and like questioning yourself on every every single little point. Like, I think this is which, like, just trust your eyes, just watch the game right. and trust your eyes. Like analytics are here as a tool to, to, to supplement what you see. They are not meant to just be like, okay, I'm going to look at the numbers. This is the end all be all. I don't care what my eyes tell me. Just watch the game. This dude played at the Ohio state university. I did it. I'm sorry. In the big 10 <laughs> played in the college football playoff played hurt in the college football playoff. And then went out on his pro day and dropped some dimes. Just trust your eyes. He is a good quarterback. Take him. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. It's, it's not going to, you know, not work because Trey Lance has a a 2% better work ethic than Justin Fields or Zach Wilson has a 5% better work ethic than Justin Fields. Just look at the tape make a decision and stick with it. We don't have to constantly have this flip-flopping with the draft. I feel like the draft is like the, the prep for the draft is just exhausting. It's just also, exhausting. There's another one of these that came up and it wasn't the same way with like work ethic, but um, Sewell, the offensive tackle out of Oregon that has spent the entire year being like the top rated offensive tackle. He was awesome all season long and we get close to the draft. And now I see all of this talk about like how his arms are too short. And it's like, it reminded me when you were saying just watch the games and like trust what you see. And I, and I get it that that ends up being part of a thing with offensive tackles because of like the length and size speed combination that you get these pass rushers that are just total freaks of nature in the NFL. I get that. But at the same time, we watched him completely dominate college football um, up at Oregon. So like to say that now he should slide because – his arms are too, like a uh, half an inch shorter than the guy that you now might want to elevate him over. Like, I do feel like we do this thing in the draft where it's a, an exercise in finding those little nitpicky things. And that's how I feel like you end up every year with like these guys that slide and we look back and go, well, why did he slide? And why did he end up going to a good team that is using him very well when he should have been picked higher in the draft? It happens every year. And I think it's because of stuff like this, where all we do is nitpick guys. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's not unique to the NFL draft. Like it's, it seems like just with, with pro drafts in general, you are looking for reasons not to take a guy as opposed right. to reasons to take a guy. And we saw this just last year with LaMelo Ball, who, like, until he got hurt, it was the runaway rookie of the year. And everybody was like, oh, uh, he didn't interview well, or, you know, he didn't do this or that well, or there are some, you know, criticisms or concerns about his work ethic. Like, the dude balled out. Just take him. Like, just trust, just trust what your eyes are telling you. Yeah, absolutely. I, and then I think that that is, it is, you're right. That's a good point. It is all across all drafts, um, but it is the most annoying thing about drafts. So, all right, who are, who are you going to put on blast this week? Because you're, you're inaugural time getting to put someone on blast. I know you've been excited. This is, uh, yeah, this is a big moment for me. I'd like to put Skip Bayless on blast um, <laughs> permanently, but, but also specifically for this week. Did you get to watch the Gonzaga-UCLA Final Four game? I did not. Um, 
one of the best NCAA tournament games we've gotten in some time. And they said it on the broadcast that that was one of the best, if not the best NCAA tournament game that we had seen in a while. Jalen Suggs hits the unbelievable banked in three at the end of the game. Um, by the way, I listened to like the, the call of that shot in like Spanish and Russian <laughs> and like yeah. anybody that is not American, they just do it so much better. It was awesome. Um, Skip Bayless says no idea. He tweets this. He says no idea how you can call that an all time great college basketball game when it was won by a lucky shot. Skip. You just cringed. You just reflexively cringed. Um, the, the reason this showed up on my timeline is because, like, I, I have tried to filter all Skip Bayless content out of my timeline, but somebody quoted it and said, Fox pays this guy $8 million a year for you to get pissed at him on Twitter while mid-market sportscasters work 13-hour days at a $45,000 salary doing feature stories on your kids. First of all, cut that in half. Uh, second of all, like... Exactly. Skip represents the old guard that needs either phasing out or serious retrofitting in, in sports media. He's a shock columnist that's paid by the click with an overinflated sense of self-worth. He is not here to argue in good faith. He is here to say outlandish shit that makes you either engage or read. And regardless of, of the tenor of your engagement, if you do one of those things, he's won. He's accomplished his goal. And like like I said this about uh, the Nebraska-Oklahoma thing weeks ago. Like, if you are only ever in the public spotlight to get dunked on, you are not as relevant as you think you are. And Skip's like heel turn into this. Well, maybe it's not a heel turn. He's been doing this for a long time. Yeah, it's into been a this, while. Just, I'm going to say dumb stuff to rile you up and get you to watch my show. It is, it is what is wrong with sports media and why people do not value or trust sports media. And it's just, it's frustrating to watch. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is frustrating from a lot of different sides. Um, it's frustrating as someone, and I know you feel the same way, it's frustrating for someone in the business um, to watch it unfold. It's frustrating as a fan of sports um, because, like you said, you just exist to make people mad. Um, and it's really weird because, it, and I think that I, you put it the perfect way, when he's not here to argue with you in good faith, there is a difference between us disagreeing about someone and like you really or disagreeing with someone and you really feel that way. And it's just kind of going back and forth and you're having a productive thing where you can actually argue the merits of a certain thing. Like, I don't know whether or not that you think special teams is going to be improved. Like we could actually argue that, or I could just say really crazy shit to get you mad. There's a difference there <laughs> doing that. If we were having a discussion about something and I, and I agree with you, wholeheartedly that it is everything that's wrong with what's happening with sports discourse today. Um, and it also actually plays into the previous type of what I was saying about people in the draft stuff, because that's a lot of what that is too, because there's so much draft coverage that people just want to be heard. And how do you find a way to be heard? I'm going to say the outlandish thing that that guy doesn't work hard. So I think it actually goes together. Yeah. Because like everybody is yelling now. And so, you know, when everybody is yelling, you have to yell louder or you have to say dumb stuff. Right. And it's just like it. And, and also, too, when I when I first read it, it had very much of a uh, Paul George. I don't care what anybody says. That's a bad shot. It had that kind of a vibe to it, like <laughs> it like, like a little bit of a butthurt vibe to it. 
Yeah, just, just a little bit. Um, and that's, yeah, that that is definitely, we'll see. I don't know how you get that out, though. Now that it's one of those things that once the toothpaste is out of the bottle, so to speak, it's hard to go back. And the reason is, is he's been so profitable <laughs> doing it. And it's worked so much for him that it's almost like there's no going back. Now. And because of him, ESPN is now paying his counterpart, Stephen A. Smith, similar money to do the same thing. Right, right. So you basically have at least a guy like this, a network, um, that needs to fill that role. Like now that is a role at every major sports network that there is a guy that you could point to that does this. Yeah, because the, the, you know, the CEO or the person at the top can look at, just look at the numbers and say, that's profitable. We want more of that. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, that that's a good place to leave it for this week, Derek. I very much appreciate you coming on um, and being the and friend of this week's Straight Up Breakdown podcast. Um, I'm going to continue to do this for the next few weeks um, is to have various people on with me to kind of discuss the topics of the day. Um, but you can still subscribe to the podcast everywhere you listen to them. Uh, Raiders, to make sure you leave a five-star review. If you only leave four, I'm inclined to think you're a hater and no one wants that. Uh, make sure that you're checking out the other podcasts on the Hill of Varsity Network, the Mind Your Own podcast, Varsity Club, more to it, and the Hill Varsity Radio Show. Also, check out the Hill Varsity YouTube page. Um, we'll be back again next week. We also have an email, straight up breakdown at hillvarsity.com. You can find Derek at Twitter if you want to yell at him for anything he said today at DrPD15. You can find me as always at Greg Smith HV. Mine is not 15 anymore, it's HV. Oh, HB, sorry. Look at me. Dr. PD HB. Throwback on that one. Throwback. I did enjoy the throwback. I don't know why I went back to the old school on that one. Um, but at Greg Smith HB is where you can find me. At Dr. PD HB, once again, is where you find Derek. Uh, make sure you are also reading HailVarsity.com. We will catch you next week. A Hoda Media Production.